Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. Welcome back to the Soccer Geeks Podcast. I am Marissa Kelly, and I'm joined by the host of Soccer Geeks Podcast, Jason Barbato. Hi, Jason. Hi, Marisa. How are you today? <laughs> you yeah. were practicing that a lot. I really was, yeah. <laughs> My rolling R's. Here we go. Yeah, no, yeah. Marissa, I'm very, very, very excited to uh, host this episode today. Uh, today, we're going to talk about impossible uh, on the show. We're going to talk about unlikely, and we're going to go down that path of unlikely probability. Uh, we're going to be talking to American soccer's poster child for inspiration, the infamously famous Jimmy Conrad, a.k.a. Conradinho. Why don't you welcome Jimmy on the show, Marissa? background music i'm gonna add hey buddy yeah dude yeah absolutely yeah lots of sound effects on that one jimmy welcome to the show buddy so happy to talk with you today thanks for joining us oh thanks jason i am a soccer geek myself so it's an honor to be here oh buddy yeah we're gonna have a lot of fun i know it's gonna be great for our 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 listeners uh marissa thanks so much for putting this all together yes thank you marissa appreciate you yes thank you absolutely and i will be back later on to give you some insight so enjoy thanks marissa all right, uh, Jimmy, man, I want to jump right into it. Um, first of all, I love your, the, you know, for those of you that are listening, uh, Jimmy is wearing the uh, Bob Marley inspired Ajax uh, kit, but he looks like he's about ready to host a rave as well, which I'm pretty excited <laughs> about it. Um, you know, I can't, Jimmy, you can't not, confirm or deny this rumor at this time. Buddy, let's go. Right. I'm sure you've got some real good I got some bites. whistles and some glow sticks, but that doesn't mean anything. Okay. <laughs> That's just sideline behavior <laughs> for you. Just sure. behavior. <laughs> um, you know, Jimmy, the more I've studied your career, the more I've been a fan of just following you in all the different streams that you are, the more I'm just increasingly impressed with just your career. And I'm not just saying that just to start the show, just to get you kind of relaxed. This isn't like your your uh, your dose of <laughs> wine to like loosen you up in the show, but genuinely, you've had one of the most amazing careers in U.S. soccer. I mean, to be quite honest, it, it really reads like a Hollywood script, um, feel-good story. Um, and what I really want to be able to do today is bring that level of of honesty and grit, you know, and self-belief and determination for our listeners. Um, it's, it's one of the things that I appreciate so much about you is just your uncanny way to adapt, uh, and to learn and to work yourself into success. And that's not a knock on like the talent that you have, but you know, there's always, there's always a ceiling to everybody's talent and then it's what you kind of do with it. Um, and so I'm hoping that we're going to be able to kind of help you share a little bit of the, the Conrad family recipe uh, <laughs> to get your butt out of bed every day and just kick and tail everywhere you go. Does that sound like a plan? Well, I, I want to say that as time has passed and now I have a lot more time to reflect on my career and the things that I accomplished, I think that, and I'm coaching more now, especially in the youth sector, um, I'm, I'm like the super volunteer dad in, in little rec leagues or in the local high school or whatever, but that I've learned that my talent was commitment. Yeah. That was, that was my talent. So, so mm -hmm. I obviously could do the basic things that you needed to have success at the highest levels, like trap a ball and make a good pass. Yeah. But I wasn't going to break the lines be a number 10, pull the strings. I had that in my bag, but I didn't have necessarily the confidence to do that consistently. So I was better, at least in terms of my mindset, I was better molded to play center back and to be an organizer, communicator, putting people in good spots, putting out fires before they start, that type of stuff. I love team shape. I can talk about team shape all day, every day. I think that solves 90% of your team's problems if you have good starting positions, because if you're on the defensive side of the ball, 
and you win it, you know where everybody's standing and it should help you transition into the attack. And we don't talk about those little things enough. Yeah. I think that's getting lost in the in the era of YouTube where you're just watching highlight videos of Ronaldinho doing tricks, you know, and sure, that guy's sure. amazing. I love that dude. But but there's also so many other elements to the game and also different ways to have success. You don't necessarily have to do juggles or keepy uppies for a thousand, although it would help, but but it helps build that base. <laughs> But right. that doesn't have to be your main driver of how you can have success in this game. And so to your point, I actually appreciated your description of I figured out a way to adapt and then turn that into a pretty successful career, especially given where I came from and given the talent at my disposal. <laughs> sure. I mean, well, that's the thing, too. I mean, you could have, like you said, about keepy uppies and juggles and all these things. I mean, that makes for a great, you know, street performer down the road, but mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily translate to to being successful on the field. It, it can help. But again, like you said, it's a tool in the bag. And if the tool in the bag is not the, be, being able to read the game or to know enough about what you're reading when you read it, how to mm -hmm. react and respond, mm -hmm. you know, accordingly, you're, you know, all you have is tricks. Right. And that, that can only take you so far. Um, take us back a little bit in the, 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 what we can call, you know, your very storied career. You, know, you kind of grew up in the suburbs of LA, not too far from where I was born. I was born in South Pass in Huntington Memorial. Oh, so, wow. Really close. Uh, yeah. yeah. So pretty close. Um, but, you know, you, you, you played high school soccer. You lettered, you know, according to Wikipedia, right? You, you lettered all four years, which is a pretty big deal. So, um, you, you know, did you play club back then? I mean, club really wasn't too big of a thing or travel back then. It was pretty much AYSO, I imagine, correct? It was AYSO. Shout out to Region 98. That's where yeah. uh, I got my start. And I played AYSO from age five to about age 11. And what happened was we had a pretty good all-star team. And around this time, which 11, that'd be like 1988. It makes me feel really old. But mm -hmm. uh, around the late 80s, our, our all-star team was winning Southern sectionals. Like we, we won everything we could win in our age group at that age. And we had... Uh, a dad who was our coach, but his son played soccer at Cal State Northridge. And so he would come back and help train the team when he could. And his dad would coach on the weekends. But we knew, even at a young age, that we were getting exposed to something a little bit different than the volunteer dad. And yeah. and it got to the point where he this this guy was looking for some extra income. And club was starting to start to really start to form in a meaningful way. And he said, we should take this team and turn it into a club team. And at that point, I was playing baseball and I was, you know, yeah. uh, doing some basketball stuff. I was never really interested in gridiron, per se, American football. But but I mean, I did like playing with, you know, flag football, or whatever, but nothing, you know, hitting somebody like that. That, yeah. that was a, that level of alpha male testosterone, I, even though I have some of it, uh, never really scaled those heights. But but he said at age 11, you need to focus on one sport. And our parents were pissed. They yeah. were pissed that this guy's coming in, Mr. Swashbuckling college kid who thinks he knows <laughs> everything about the game. And, and for me, it was really easy. I, I didn't find baseball to be consistently engaging. Obviously, the moments where you're on the base path or if you're up sure. the bat or, you know, you, you're at first or, or you're the catcher. Like, if you're involved in every play, sure, the game's okay. But if you're not... Yeah, it's, yep. it's hard. It's hard. So it was a really easy decision for me. And my parents were like, all right, well, I guess he's going to do that. And I was eager to join the team because because of the creativity that can exist within the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I thankfully had this coach who fostered that he didn't try to tamp it down. He didn't try to try to force us to play a certain system. He, he 
in a, in, a, in a really strange way, I got exposed to a coach who had an idea of how the game should be played, but then understood what, his, what the talents of each of his players had and tried to work the system around that. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes we see a lot of, and I see it with some of the youth coaches, they, this is the way they're going to play. And this is it. And I need you to do this. And, and, but you're at now asking a kid who might not have the skill set to do that. So what immediately happens is that kid feels bad about themselves. The coach doesn't look at the kid the same way. And coach never gives that kid a chance to adapt potentially to the system. And there's no, but there's not even a middle ground. There's no compromise. And so that gets a little frustrating. So ultimately, as I've learned on this adventure, and you can take this any, any different direction you want, but we have more than enough kids that want to play. I still feel like our coaching needs to continue to mature and evolve. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and it's not due to an enthusiasm or willingness. There are plenty of, of experienced dads who have coaching experience in other sports who come in. And those are all, the kids still learn from that as well. But there's some subtleties and nuances that I think some of the coaches from other sports can't apply to this particular game. And, uh, you know, that gets a little frustrating when you see some of that going on. Uh, and, and so I'm trying to do my part to give back where I can. But, but also the referee needs to evolve. You know, yeah. and I, I think that the parents do referees a disservice. Like you kill the spirit of potential people that are volunteering their time or getting 10 bucks an hour or whatever to run the half sideline, which is hard in itself, right? There's so much pressure. And then you got parents right behind you telling you, you suck. You don't know what you're doing. You're like, why, why am I going to be out here? But yeah. all of that is going to elevate the experience because if our, ga our games are well refed and our players are starting to get better, our coaches are getting better, all boats are going to rise here. And so you know, the refing thing is interesting because I, you know what, I, I wasn't the nicest to referees, but I'm but, sure, <laughs> but, but my, my only issue with referees was their inconsistency in their calls. Right. Like you can't call that a foul. And the same thing happens to me. And you're like, play on, you know, like, no, 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 it's not right. a play on, dude. You set a precedent. Right, right, right. I want you right. to maintain that precedent. But that was where my biggest issues were with referees. Uh, well, I understand well, they're humans. I never, I never really got on them about missed calls, like missed offside call. Like that happens. They're, they're humans too. Well, you'll appreciate this. Um, you know, my, my middle daughter, my oldest who plays soccer is now 13 and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, she's really wanted to referee for like the last year just as, I mean, it's, it's better than babysitting money to be quite honest, you know, you <laughs> go do a tournament in the weekend. She can do really sure. well. Right. And so one of the things, you know, to bond with her over it, uh, and you'll appreciate this, but I'm going to go with her too and kind of take my grassroots refereeing as well. And so it, it's, it's going to be like, I, like step, like I cannot wait to be on the sidelines and and have a parent like screaming in my ear about stuff. It's so, just going to be absolutely hilarious. I, I love that you're doing that. I think it's important. There should be some type of rule put in place that if your kid signs up, let's say at the under five, whatever, the youngest levels where there's no pressure, there should be no no emphasis on winning. It's only about development. Yeah, but that there's still referees out there. Every yeah. parent should have to have to ref at least one game. Yeah, they they have to know what that feels like to be in the middle. To, to be in control. And, and I don't think parents really understand how, how important a referee is to the rhythm and flow of a game and, mm -hmm. and how much they do control the atmosphere of what's happening and what's allowed and what's not. And, and I don't think you can understand that unless you're out there yourself once. Yeah. And I also think that for the teams that I help coach, and I, I work with the San Francisco Glens here, mm -hmm. and, and they have USL League Two status and, and a really robust academy that's going to be the MLS Next Pro Academy and all that good stuff. But they, I, I've tried to put a mandate in place for them that not just our, our parents, which is outside of that, that our, our, co our kids need to be referees. They need yeah. to have a 360 view of what it means to understand the pressure of what that role does in their job. And, and I think that 
that will allow for some more empathy to come in when you're in the heat of the moment going, this guy's doing the best that he can. And maybe he missed that one, but I'm doing the best that I can. And I'm not perfect either. And, right. and I think that's a really necessary conversation to have. Well, one of the things that I think would be really awesome is, is honestly every kid in the Academy, you know, cause my kids play Academy as well. Um, mm-hmm. but every kid over 14 years old should be refing uh, all the rec leagues. Like at least I, start at that level. Like at I least, get it. But, but they should be, you know, the weekends that they're not playing or if they're playing on Sunday, they're refing that on set on Saturday or whatever it is, at least one game. But giving back to the game, especially mm-hmm. at the younger mm-hmm. ages, can create such a different perspective for players and also allows them the opportunity to grow in the way that they see the game. Mm-hmm. I've talked about with my kids that like, listen, there's the game on paper. There's the game we see, you know, with our own eyes and there's the game from the sidelines. And then even there's the game on film. Every, every one of those perspectives mm-hmm. is completely different. Right. But there's also, I don't think we really take into consideration the way that the game is actually perceived through the eyes of the referee. Um, yeah, they're human and they're going to make mistakes and all those other things, but it's a whole different can of worms that you start opening, uh, in thinking about that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a thousand percent with you. In fact, um, on the show, you know, that's, and even with that, you know, the app you and I've talked about that we're developing, like there's a huge component for refereeing, but, mm-hmm. um, we want to see a greater level of entry for kids to actually have an interest, you know, from a career standpoint in refereeing, mm-hmm. like we need more. Um, there's well, many, well, why times- would you do it? If you're walking in, if you're 14 and all you're getting abused by a bunch of exactly. super of parents you're like i'm like, gonna go i'm gonna go babysit uh, that's yeah just like well, that's safer yeah, yeah it's, it's probably safer it's just it's, it's less just liability little, yeah, let, let, yeah. Well, i don't know if it's completely less liability but <laughs> well but, yeah you have a knife stop <laughs> with that knife but uh exactly. but but yeah it just it just deters the positive energy that that you're talking about that could be surrounding these particular yeah. positions and and potentially the kids that are drawn to being a referee, but then get that stomped stamped out of them because of well, bad behavior. I just, parents. I just think that the, the more kids referee, the more parents understand it and the more, uh, more parents wouldn't want their kid being screamed at by some, some that guy too. who to be fair. And typically when I see it, it's, it's people who aren't like, uh, I'm not making trouble. They're not soccer families. They're other sport dads, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, are just screaming at the referees because that's just what we do. Um, <laughs> and they're all incompetent, but they pay the their hard earned money, man. They get to yell right. whatever they want, <laughs> I guess. Um, so, I mean, that's, yeah, that's something that I definitely think that like, you know, needs to, to be addressed. And I think slowly, but surely like we can get there, but I guys like you who have a really high profile, I think it's great that you're speaking out about it because it, we need to cause and draw more attention to it. Most of the times when my kids play games, you know, my, one, my youngest is pre-academy next year. She'll be academy age. My other daughter is now her first year into it. Most of the times there's not three referees, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, they're playing academy soccer in our country and there's such a shortage that there's a, there's maybe a center referee and one AR if they're lucky. That's real mm-hmm, tough. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that's really, that, that's a tall order. And so there's gotta be I had a lot to, of, here's a fun, fun story for you. I was, yeah. my daughter's playing JV at her high school and, and they had a game and the referees, didn't show up. They didn't schedule them, whatever. So I'm sitting in the stands and all the parents look at me like, you have the most experience, man. Just get down yeah. there and, and make it happen. And I was like, oh, man. So I like begrudgingly get down there. And I end up refing a uh, full 90 minutes or 80 minutes okay. for, for a JV game. But I was by myself. And it was very hard to to manage the offside line because I just yeah. couldn't be everywhere at once. Yeah. And, and it, You're it like a one side to box. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, box it's box a lot. I, <laughs> I definitely, uh, you know, I burned my calories that day. But yeah, sure. um, I, I was very thankful that that uh, the other coach of the other team was open to me being involved. And 
And, uh, you know, it's just JV not taking it too serious. It was pretty one-sided. Uh, my, my daughter's team is a little bit better than the other. But, but still, it was, it was difficult to, to manage that part of the game. Everything else I can see, I let things yeah. play out just a little bit to see if there's an advantage, if there was a proper foul. You know, you look at body language and reaction and how everybody else is responding. And these are other things, too, that I think from a referee perspective, they need to play more. Because when you play, yeah. you also understand some of the nuances and subtleties of, of what a foul is and what it isn't, what that would look like, you know, how it feels to be on the, on the receiving end of some of these tackles right. or, or, or committing these tackles themselves. So that was one of the things. I had a chance to talk when I was with the national team. Me, Chris Armis, and Landon Donovan went and spoke to 300 referees that ref professionally in this country. And that was my mm -hmm. big thing was I hope you guys are playing because – just as much as we should be out there refing to get that little that sense of how it is to to manage that role and that responsibility, they should be doing the same. And and then mm -hmm. uh, there was no pushback on that. I think they all I'm agreed sure. that they should be playing. But um, you know, I just talked about more transparency and communication. And ultimately, yeah. if you have a proper captain on your team, this is the professional level or college level, I guess, high academy level. Then the, if you just talk to the captain and say, "Hey, listen." it's getting to the point now where I have to hand out yellow cards and you give kind of that little cushion of letting your captain know, and he can tell the rest of the team. Then I think you'd start to manage the game a little bit better. But when, when, yeah. when it be, when the referee makes it about them, then the game right. changes, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anyway, we don't need to get into referee stuff, yeah, too much, no, it's but good. it's just yeah. kind of a, that's an enough. example yeah, that's of, of <laughs> an example of just one area of the game that, that could benefit the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, a thousand percent with you. Um, you know, after you are done kind of youth and, and club, like you said, you were kind of at the, the kind of the turn of the, the, the chapter, if you will, in American soccer going from, you know, AYSO to club teams and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, you go to San Diego state, which is right down here, which is an awesome school and place to be at. So, uh, but you're there for two years, you transfer to UCLA and you win a national championship. Mm-hmm. Um, can, and obviously, you know, you can talk about some of the ups and downs, you know, I'm sure in that whole, uh, realm, and that's a, probably an entire show to itself, just <laughs> about that process of playing college soccer and going from one program to the next and kind of asserting yourself, but winning a national title is, is pretty dang huge. Um, on top of that, um, I was wondering like the post collegiate career, you know, you went undrafted. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, winning a national title to you know, crickets. <laughs> yeah. I, I think what's interesting is, is to, to talk about a theme that existed throughout that process. When I yeah. came out of high school, I just happened to play in the league with La Cunada high school and La Cunada at that point was on the cusp of 50 straight wins being the number one high school in the whole country. So we had that team in our, in our league and, we, I could never, I never won my league in high school. I won almost every other trophy you can win in this country, mm -hmm. youth national championships, college <laughs> national championships, MLS cup, open cup, gold cup. I made, you know, played a Copa America world. Cup. I've done all these crazy things, but I never won my goddamn high school <laughs> league championship. It's, oh, it frustrates me anyway. So, so it, it's when I came out of high school, I did have some interest, but like any, player you're only thinking division one and at that point when i was coming up there was no mls and i would go to ucla soccer games so i would go and watch kobe jones brad friedel yeah. joe max moore 
I would see Ziggy Schmidt, the coach, rest in peace, who was larger than life for me. I always wondered, wow, I wonder what it would be like to play for UCLA and to play for Ziggy. I just, I couldn't get enough of it, which really speaks to going to see games in person. Yeah. And, and, and from, we both have daughters. From a female perspective, they need to go to NWSL games. They need, or college games. They need to go see what's possible. You talked about the impossible to start the podcast. The impossible is made possible by, by seeing somebody else that you can emulate that has done the same. You don't necessarily know their sure. story, but but you can start to be like, I wonder what it's like to be that person yeah. doing those things. It's yeah, a dream. You have to give them a platform for dreaming. Yeah. 100%. And so I had that, and it was UCLA. That was my dream school. And coming out of high school, I had very solid SATs, like a 3.8 grade point average. I, I skipped a grade when I was younger, so I felt like I had that going for me. didn't make any difference that I skipped a grade. I thought, oh, this is like, write my essay about this. It's going to be great. And they're like, dude, we have people that skip like five grades. You're, you're not that big of a deal. <laughs> and, and I just, I didn't get into UCLA based on academics alone. So I had to get in through sports and the coach, Todd Saldana, who I'm friends with now, he was the assistant for Ziggy. He's like, yeah, we don't really know who you are. So I, you know, if, if you get into school, I'll let you try out. But if you don't, we're going to have to pass. So I was like, all right, yeah. this sucks. So, so thankfully I had a, this, the same coach that I talked about in AYSO, I was still he, we had gone to a different club and I joined them and I started playing a year up, which was actually the age I was competing against because I had skipped a grade. And I wonder if my life, how my life had been different if I hadn't, because hmm. then I would have been competing with guys my own age, but whatever, it all worked out. So sure. it was kind of this, this theme of nobody really knows who you are. We don't know how good you are and best of luck. And so I had to go and kind of kick down my own doors and my club coach, ultimately got me that opportunity at San Diego state and just convinced the coach to give me books scholarship. You know, I was making like three, I was like getting like $300 a semester, sure. but I was telling everybody I had a partial division one scholarship, of course. <laughs> and, and, and it didn't get resolved until like a couple weeks before the season started. So I get this packet from state and I'm training my, I like, I knew early on that it's rare for a coach to cut the fittest guy on the team. And, and I knew that, Coaches saw that as someone who cared and, yeah. and imagine yeah. if you were the fittest guy on the team and you could play. And that's kind of how I saw it. If I could prove that I deserve to be on the team just based on my attitude and my desire and my work rate and my work ethic. And then I can also prove that I can play. I'm going to make this team, you know, and yes. there was still no guarantee. I wasn't given that much money. The guy could have cut me for sure. So we had to run a three mile, three miles. It, the Cooper's test is what two minutes or two miles and 12 minutes under 12 minutes. This one was three, no, three miles under 19 minutes. I beat everybody by over half a lap. I got in at 1710. <laughs> All right. And, and I trained at Mount Sac, which has one of the best uh, cross-country yeah. courses. And yeah. I, I would Track, go out there yeah. two or Hold three down. times a week and go run their, their famous cross-country course where they did all the high school. have success and to deal with something that maybe wasn't certain but i was going to make it certain and so when i went in there and crushed everybody if the older guys are pissed because they think i'm showing them up and, and and i'm telling you this recycle and this rinse and recycle of that feeling happened to me a lot throughout my career but i proved myself there and after two years i learned that the coach was not great i wasn't learning anything i was gaining not i wasn't learning from him there was no system it was just kind of like roll the ball out and go play and I felt like I needed more. And after 
there was 10 freshmen that came in and I'm giving you this story because there's some context here, but yeah. eight, eight of us, 10 freshmen left after two years. We kind of talked ourselves into a frenzy. We're very, very close knit group, but I was the only one that was swinging to go to a bigger division one school. I think another one of my roommates went to Fresno state, but I went to UCLA, but I had to call cold call Ziggy Schmidt. And I got the same thing as I did when I was coming out of high school. Yeah. We don't really know who you are, man. You know? Right. And so what I did was I, I drove up to UCLA and I kind of had like a little goatee. I thought it was so cool. A little goatee and, <laughs> you know, had all whatever the, the, the local or the, that, that times trend. Uh, sure. And I cleaned myself up. I didn't want to have any bias. I didn't want there to be used anything against me. I wore like a polo. I tucked it into some khakis, you know? Sure. And, and, and I just went in and I went into the UCLA soccer offices and I went in to introduce myself. And the secretary, whoever at the front, just said, hey, you got to wait because obviously I was unexpected. And I waited an hour and a half and I just sat there. And there's no cell phones. So it's not like I'm looking at anything. I'm just sitting right. there. And UCLA's campus is beautiful. And I'm like, man, this place is great. And, and waiting and waiting and waiting. All right, Ziggy, we'll see you. I knew he had been up there forever. And uh, I go up there and he, and this is at the time where he wasn't really sold on me yet. But we had, we had one phone conversation. And I just wanted to, him to see my size, to meet me in person, look me in the eyes, you know? And, and uh, I think it helped. It was a bit of a risk. Sure. And uh, he said, he said, you know, we, we have some recruits that we're looking at, you know, and if, if, the, if something doesn't happen with them, then maybe you have an opportunity. And I said, okay, great. Thank you. Nice to meet you. You know, good luck, whatever. And so I left and uh, what ended up happening, Danny Califf, who ended up uh, was, was in Southern California as well. He left to go to Maryland. And so he was a big center back like me. And so they, Ziggy's like, Hey, if you want to come, we'll give you one week to try out. I'll get you into school. I'll give you one week to try out. And I'm like, all right, at this point, my scholarship at San Diego State had increased. My parents are like, what are you doing? You know how expensive UCLA is, you psycho? Sure. <laughs> so so I'm like, no, I got to do it. It's my dream. This is the school I went to go watch games at when I was a kid. I, I, right. I got to see it out. And I told myself if I didn't make it that first week that I would consider it a redshirt year. I would work my ass off for, for that year and then, and then try to make the team the following season. Well, I go in. And one of my high school teammates, who is a year younger than me, he's coming now in as a freshman. He's like, hey, we're having, we're having physicals for the, for the upcoming season. You should come with me. We'll carpool. And I was like, sweet. Yeah, cool. Wouldn't mind, you know, I don't know, get a physical, go meet the guys, any of the coaches. So I go. This is the most heartbreaking thing of all time, Jason. I go, and I'm sitting by Poly Pavilion, which is right across from the, where, the, where the doctors and, and uh, physical area is, physical treatment guys, physios. Well, I can't think of their names right now. PTs, physical therapists. Yeah. And, uh, and it's all set up for, for UCLA soccer. That was their day to get all this done. And I go, and assistant coach Paul Crumpy, who coaches at LMU now, goes, yeah, you're not on the team. So you, uh, you can just you go home. Be here. Yeah. yeah, you shouldn't be here. You should just go home. But I didn't drive by myself. I had now had to wait. And since, since Craig Hart, who my teammate, was a freshman, he had to go last. I sat in Poly Pavilion by myself for three hours. Hmm. By myself, no cell phones. I mean, I felt like the biggest lump of coal of all time. I mean, there's other phrases I could use, but I just felt yeah. Yeah. I was trying to work through like feeling sorry for myself, but also like, hey, this is okay. It's part of it. You got to earn respect. You know, you can't, it's not just going to be given to you. They don't know who you are. And man, what a roller coaster of emotion for three hours. And it got to the point where Paul Crumpy, 
to his now now he's obviously a very close friend but yeah he's a big fan now <laughs> yeah of course but he 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 felt so bad for me yeah that the kind of word got out that i was just sitting in there by myself that i kind of got the sympathy okay i guess you can come in and okay. get a physical and at that point i didn't really want one i was i was embarrassed right. you know so now you go in yeah. there and everybody's looking at you and you don't want to make eye contact with anybody like you're just getting the sympathy thing they don't think you're any good you know you're just some guy that's trying out and, and I know that feeling. And so it was the worst. And, and uh, I did not enjoy that day. But it, in some ways, made me want to prove myself even more. So I end up making the team. I'll fast forward through all the other <laughs> sadness of all no, of it. Oh, you're good. After one week, I make it. And I'm the first walk-on to start the first game of the season since Kobe Jones. Now, yeah. you think, my, my career takes off from there. Look at this guy. ended up in a World Cup. Look at him fight through all that. Listen, Ziggy Schmidt was a very difficult coach and he would give you three games. And if you didn't play to the level of his ex expectations for three games, you might not play for six. You right. might just sit there and watch. And that, that was me. And it was really easy for him to do it because he didn't recruit me. I was just some walk on. There's 27 right. players on the team. I was number 27, my junior year. And we were the number one team in the country. And I sat behind Taj Jenkins, who was an all American ended up getting drafted. He's a senior, number one by an MLS by Colorado Rapids. So, I mean, I was sitting behind some pretty legit talent, but, but um, it was hard. It was hard because I had left, you know, guaranteed minutes, probably being right. one of the top players for San Diego State. And now I'm suffering at UCLA, even though that's the school I wanted to play for. So I went through all this and, and my senior year, I'm still kind of in and out. And I was hot. I mean, I was doing everything I possibly can to get better at the game. I was training by myself when nobody was watching and nothing I just still couldn't win over Ziggy. He just, it's like he promised parents of players he recruited that they were going to play. And he never promised that to my parents. And so he didn't owe me anything. And he didn't. And, and I think that's one of the rules of all this. Once you understand that nobody owes you anything, yeah. man, you can, you can attack life in a, in a much different way. But if yeah. you walk around like somebody owes you something, then that is such a distraction and, and it holds you back. Yep. And, and I can speak to that in a, in a different story where I yeah, think that's the fast lane to failure, right? Oh man, Absolutely. that sense of entitlement is, is, yeah. it's crazy. And, and I ended up getting it after I got into a world cup. And if you want to explore that later, we can, but I, I just to finish this part of the story off, I, we, so the guy that was starting in front of me, actually, let me say it like this. It was senior day. I was only one of five seniors. This is before the playoffs start. Senior day, I get to start. My family's there. I'm taking photos with my mom and my, my parents. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a nice day. And the other seniors got a lot of minutes throughout the year, and I didn't. And I was the only senior that got subbed out of the game. And I just mm. couldn't – I couldn't understand it. Like I, We were winning the 5-0. It wasn't even like a – you know, it wasn't like it was a 1-0. Yeah. We need to get it right, to get right, into the right. playoffs. And you can, yeah. I'm going to go with the guys I trust. We're crushing this team. I can't remember who right. it was. And, and the fact that he took me out was so heartbreaking to me. And I couldn't, I still honestly, in some ways don't forgive him for that because I thought that he should have known that, that everything that I've given to the program, I've kept my mouth shut and I worked hard and I, and I tried to raise the level of practice. Even I still have an influence in the team, even if all these little things, and he had actually done me dirty the year before where we were beating Cal. I got to say this one too. We were beating yeah. Cal in Berkeley for the PAC 10 championship or whatever. We were up four zero. And I'm the only player that didn't get to play. And there's like 10 minutes left and we're, we're crushing them. And so I kind of look over at Paul Crumpy, the assistant. This is my junior year, by the way. And, and Ziggy turns to him 
Crumpy says something to Zig and Zig turns and goes, oh, everybody plays on tournament day. You're so happy we're, we're crushing Cal or whatever. And so Crumpy tells me to warm up. I'm running up as fast as I possibly can. And I get over to the thing. We're like five, six minutes left in the game. The ball never goes out of bounds. <laughs> and I sit there on the sideline. And now I have to hide this, this rejection and embarrassment. My family had driven all the way up. Yeah. And, and I was just, I, if I could have, if nobody was around, I would have cried. There's no question in my mind I would have cried in that particular moment. But my team just won a huge game. So you, I have to go support the team. And, and that was another element where I just couldn't understand why he treated me that way. And never thought about, never, I was always an afterthought. And, and then when you fast forward to one year later for senior day, and I just felt like I'm just not his guy. So right. the next week we're playing in the, in, the, in the playoffs, first round. And the guy that starts in front of me tears his knee five minutes in. And I'm like, holy crap, this is crazy. So I go out. He's got no other options. Like, he has to trust yeah. me at this point. The first time I ever felt trust from Ziggy. And I go out there, and we only give up one goal in five games, six games, and we end up winning the national championship. And those other four seniors got drafted, and I didn't. And I had to start all over again. Nobody knew really knew who I was. Nobody thought I was any good. And I went into Ziggy like, how did I not get – I like Mike Pecky from Southern Connecticut University. Like Mike, I remember seeing Mike Pecky going sixth overall, and he plays at Southern Connecticut. You know who? Who? I don't even know where that school is. Okay, it's that East Southern Coast bias, man. It's, it's that East Coast it bias. It was crazy. I was like, I don't. Yeah, Mike Pecky. Like, I just won a national champion. Were they not watching that game? Just so right. I had all these feelings, and so Ziggy goes in. And he goes, Hey, I'll, I'll let you. I'll, I'll hook you up with the Galaxy, and then I got mistreated by the Galaxy, and again, just just always an afterthought. And it right. just was fueled to my fire. So, you know, I, I'll give you one other story because it ties into to that running one really quick where I came in as the fittest player. But when I went to go train with the Galaxy, I knew that if I was going to make an impression, it had to be in, in fitness or, or in these little areas where I could prove myself and, and demonstrate that I cared and I wanted to be there and I was going to be the best I possibly could. And they sep separated us in groups. And we had to do kind of like these, you know, 10 seconds of full sprint. 20 seconds of like a stride, 30 seconds jog, a fart like running, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. And so they put all the young players with Danny Pena, who's like the hardest, toughest dude of all time. I actually get like emotional just thinking about this. And all the younger guys were, I'm still actually intimidated by Danny Pena to this day, but he, he would just look at you and you're like, I'm not running past this guy. He didn't want to be shown up. He didn't want to put that extra work in, right? He, he, he's 30 something at that point. He'd done what he was going to do. And, and, uh, he wasn't going to have to, he didn't want to have to prove himself all over again. That's just where he was in his career. And I, I understand where he was, but he also had to understand where I was. And so I just, I just took off. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I, what right. am I, what am I going to show here? If I'm not just draw, you know, just being intimidated by this really scary guy. And I'm just going to take off. And I took off and I crushed my whole group. And all the other older guys were giving DP, Danny Pena, a hard time because you got this young upstart guy, you know, trying to be a show off. And I wasn't trying to be a show off. I was just trying to. You're trying to show up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Show up. That's yeah. the best way to say it. And he pulls me aside and. <laughs> Keep it PG. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm about to get, yeah. a, get a oh. emotional. But he, yeah, yeah. he pulls me aside and it crushes me. And tear and like as he's saying it, I, I just start crying mm. <laughs> because who is he to tell me, you know? And uh, right. And so uh, I'm sorry. From no, that point it. forward, he never he understood, and uh, he backed off.
So I can't tell you how cool it was to, to play at a higher level than any of those dudes and, and to have a better career than those guys because I was working as hard as I did. Yeah. I'm going to get some water. Go ahead. Yeah, no, get your, get your water. I'll bring this, I'll bring this quote in real quick while you get, while you collect yourself. Uh, and thanks for Jimmy, you know, I love you, buddy. It's just, thanks for sharing that. You know, there's that quote, you know, by Alex Ferguson, right. It's a tribute to him is, you know, is, you know, hard work beats talent when talent won't work hard. And if, if that's the one thing I think that, um, probably Ferguson probably changed in a lot of coaches' minds, especially here in the United States, is that talent will only get you so far. And, you know, that's the thing I think about your career. It's not that you weren't talented, Jimmy. It's that you were so much more committed to working harder than the people next to you that that talent, like you said, that hardworking was my talent, that that actually took you further than everybody else. And that's just a huge blessing and a gift for you in itself. Uh, but to be faced with so much continual adversity – that I'm sure that there's there's times and I'm sure there's well, it, people it got easier because you're like, ah, oh, I've done this before. You know, sure. oh, <laughs> I've seen these people say the yeah. same things that I'll never be good enough. And I could feel it from their body language and the way that they talk about me. And uh, I appreciate that quote from Sir Alex and give me a, yeah. a moment to to catch myself. Yeah. I, I think I think that uh what I learned very early on was that it was up to me to decide how good I was gonna be at anything and yeah and once people start to limit you or try to hold you back or handcuff you that's where i start to to get a little bit more aggressive sounds aggressive but 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 i would start to push back even harder because who are you to tell me what i can and can't be good at whether you're ziggy schmidt whether you're danny pena whether you're the scouts it's up to me to decide and it's up to me to decide how much i'm willing to take how much I'm right. willing to sacrifice to get there. How much pain I'm willing to endure when I'm running up sprint hills by myself when nobody's looking. When, when I'm going to go work on a tennis ball machine because I saw somebody else do it. And I think that was a really good idea. And 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 where I'm going to put all this time and effort. And uh, does it guarantee me? Just because I that's the hard part too is that I, I work with some young kids where they put that work in and then they think that's going to happen the next day. Right. Oh, but I just juggled a hundred times and I had a bad first touch the next. It doesn't. It's, it's a, it's a process. It's that it's, it's trying to be better than you were the day before. So, so ultimately when I'm teaching kids, that is really, it's, it's, it's a pebble, <laughs> you're dropping a pebble onto a pail, but yeah. at the end of that journey, your pail, your pail is going to be full. And, and it, it's hard. It's hard for kids in particular to really understand and appreciate that concept because of wanting it now. Now we could say, oh, it's this new generation and social media and they're ah, whatever. Span. People are still the same. The culture same, is the same. They're the same. They're the same. It's it, yeah. we're on the same page. They're completely the same, but it's, it's, there are more distractions, but for the kids that really get it, they're out there putting the time in. It's just a matter of how patient do they, are they willing to be to see it out? And, and, a, and that's why I outlasted a lot of people because I was willing to yeah. see how far I could take it. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder too, with that, and I mean, Jimmy, listen, like there's a million directions that we can go from. Oh this yeah. Point I love it. Wherever you want to go. I, and you've got a lot of great stories and stuff like that, but let's kind of like, let's plant a flag a little bit there and talking about like to youth players, right? Because mm -hmm. it's one thing to talk about overcoming adversity, right? Being strong mentally. Like you, you have to be, you have to be so well-rounded now where you've got to be good technically, you got to be good tactically, but you also have to be really strong mentally. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much like, how do you, you said you won every other than, you know, winning the, the league in high school, you, you won everywhere else you went. And it's not how we respond when we win things, but it's how do we respond when the doors are closed? How do we respond mm -hmm. when no one picks up the phone on draft day? 
How do we respond when we're watching people that we don't think deserve an opportunity ahead of us get that opportunity and we continue to get the door closed? Like, what is the advice that you you can give for, for again, that level of determination, of perseverance, of, of self-belief, like I talked about earlier, Jimmy, that, that it just so much defines who you are. And it's not pride, right? Mm-hmm. It's not conceitance, right? It's just a self-level of knowing, like, you don't know how hard I'm willing to work. I don't mm-hmm. care how hard anybody else is. I'll give 10% more. Like, can you speak a little bit to those players, to that mentality of how, how do we craft that in our kids, how do we yeah. craft it in in players? How do we craft that into and ingrain that in the culture of American soccer? Yeah, it's tough. I I would say the first thing I would say for on an individual level is almost reverse engineer where you want to be and then work backwards. So if you see yourself as a professional player, I saw myself as a UCLA player, and I figured out a way to get there. It wasn't a straight line, and and I feel like I talked to some kids now that are that I'm helping try to place in schools or, or at least have the coach give them an opportunity because they've already been accepted, but you know, can they get a real tryout, not just a one day or, but yeah. like a week or two. And I'm having these conversations and, and a lot of them get incredibly crestfallen if it all doesn't go their way immediately. And I think there's some value. And what I learned actually through my journey was that I learned a lot more when it didn't go my way. So when I didn't get drafted, I went down to San Diego Flash mm-hmm. and I guess was, you know, some iteration of now the San Diego Loyal and, you know, it was planting seeds for the Loyal to exist and the, the wave now and all that stuff. But I got to play 30 games in six months. And because we were so close to the Mexican border, we got to play against Nicaxa and Tijuana. And I got to learn how to be a professional and I got to learn how to take care of myself without the college, the safety college bubble or, or somebody or a coach or athletic director, it's everybody trying to like help, help you. There was no help. You just either, you were sink or swim time. Yeah. You're not gonna be coddled. Yeah. No coddling, no pampering, no coddling. Yeah. I was sleeping on floors, you know, I'm eating ramen. We're making $800 a month. And, uh, you had to decide then if this is really what you wanted to do. And I feel like had I got drafted, then, okay, cool. I would have had that, that bump of, um, I made it. I'm an MLS. But I would have sat on the bench, and I would have watched, and I never would have got that, that game experience. Right. We talk about young players leaving here to go to Europe so they can cut their teeth at a higher level and all that stuff. We're talking about Zach Steffen at Man City, right? He's not – he's the second – like, he needs games. And getting games are important because you learn how to be better at your craft. And how, how do you prepare – for a game when you're the starter, as opposed to being a sub, how do you prepare though? It's important to learn how to be a sub too. Cause when things don't go your way, the last thing a coach wants is a player that's going to pout. If, if you're on the bench, like they don't want that. So, so being able to be prepared for all these eventualities ultimately led to me being comfortable and taking things in stride. When I did deal with adversity later on, no matter if I was with the national team or not, even with the national team, you get called into the national team. that's just step one. Now you got to prove yourself. Now you got to, okay, how do I make the 18? Okay, cool. How do I start? And you work through all these things. And if you don't have that foundation to fall back on where you're not, you know, if you're in the national team, you've probably been the golden child for most of your life. But I, I, I was one of the rare that I don't think was, you're the anti-hero. I was the anti-hero in a lot of different ways. And so, so I was really well prepared for my role with the national team. And that was probably a big reason why I got to play and and be a part of the 2006 world cup team. But, but really, can you reverse engineer it? So 
I wanted to go to UCLA. I didn't get accepted. How did I get there? And I found a way to make it happen. And, and had I gone to UCLA, let's even go back to that. Had I gone to UCLA right away, I wouldn't have played. I have all Americans in front of me. Instead, I go to San Diego State, get 40 Division I games, learn how to play at that level. And when you go to UCLA, you're playing the same teams. You're just wearing a different jersey with players that are probably right. a little bit better. So all that really was fundamental. So I, when I talk to my kids, just because, I mean, you, you have a point B that you want to get to, but here's point A. But point, it's never a straight line. There's ups, there's downs, there's ups and downs. But if, you're, if your ups and downs are still going towards that, up, that point B where you want to get to, then, then you're on to something. But that, yeah. that means you've, you've made a decision to be willing to know that things aren't going to go your way. And, and that the hard work that you're putting in, all of it matters. All of it matters. The decisions you make and how you re react to adversity, all of it matters. And, and if you get hurt, how you fight back through that, all, all the stuff that's leading towards, can I be a better version of me when I'm done? I've, I've learned of players that actually were better when they came back from injury, not just on the physical level, but mentally. They watched right. more games. They became a student of the game. They yep. took advantage of that time to get better at their craft in a different way. So, so that's what I try to emphasize to, to my younger players is, okay, if this is where you want to go, now, now there's plenty of ways to get there. How are you going to do it? Right. And and if it doesn't work the way that you want, how are you still going to try to get there? And those are the ones that'll 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 break through and and ultimately demonstrate the mentality that you're looking for. And, and honestly, if everybody was as mentally strong as I can be at times, not always, but at, sure. but at times, I don't even know if I'd have been a pro because if all those because other guys were a lot more talented than me, Jason. Right. But but my my mental strength was was pretty sound. Right. And but it, but it wasn't like that just on day one. You also had to no, work and grow that. Like yeah, that was something yeah. that, you know, that's like this, this, the steel that's folded a thousand times before right. it becomes a samurai star. I mean, that's just a thousand folding process. So, um, Jimmy, I know that we could talk for another two hours. Um, we're not going to do that today. We'll just do future episodes and things like that. But one of okay, the things good. That, I, we got to do like a 17 part series. Well, so one more I'm thing I want to add is Bring I'm it. getting yeah. my coaching licenses. Okay. And one of my main theses is how do you regain confidence after you lose it? Not not only individually but collectively as a team. When Can the other team up? has momentum. And what's your thesis? Like well, what, what the basis you, what of you, it is, is well, you have to have a foundation for the players to, to fall back on. Not only collectively, which I think is team shape, but but also individually. How how do you how can you basically have a short-term memory and just get on with the next play? And that yeah. is something that takes time, to your point. Like everything is fortune yeah. fire, right? So it just has to, you have to plant that seed. And I remember being in AYSO and one dad was crushing one of my teammates. And and I said to him, Yo, you're the one out here. He's not. Just just play. <laughs> just play. And and it, the dad saw what I had said something of that nature and was starting to yell at me. And then my dad stepped in. It was pretty crazy. But but uh <laughs> But but I already kind of had that in me that that, hey man, you walk in your path and and we're here to support you on this path, uh, or those coaches and everybody. But you still have to go and walk it yourself. Nobody can nobody can. There's no shortcuts. Everybody wants you want to know right. the Conrad family secret. It's that I accepted very early on. There's no shortcuts. Even now when I retired, I thought, oh, I played in the World Cup. I did this. Everybody's gonna want to give me a job. They're like, oh, that's cool. You played in the World Cup, but can you do X, Y, and Z? You're like, well, actually, I don't have any experience in that. Well, you're gonna have to start from the bottom. And once you accept right. it, and start from the bottom. Man, life becomes a lot easier. And if you can, if you can accept that, and then also not have any entitlement, you're off to the races. Yeah, always got to find that horizon, right? That 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 thing that you know that's familiar. So that's that's a great thought there for the thesis. It's just always finding something that's familiar. And it sounds like that, for you, that's you collective. Listen, I'm, I haven't got to my individual part of the thesis yet because every yeah. every kid's a little bit different. Every player is is going to react to situations in different ways. And I think you have to just know your player. 
Do they need an arm around the shoulder? Do they need that one thing you need to say on the sideline? You know, every every player right. is going to need a different thing. Uh, yeah, I guess you need like a like your little blanket when you're a kid, right? You need sure. that that metaphorical blanket to maybe help you move on from a particular play. I was a got right. player that always held on to the last play and that would impact my next five plays. And it took me a, a while to, to right. get and learn how to get out of that. And a lot of it was as a center back, I just start organizing people. You can watch me at the national team. If I made a mistake, I immediately would get into, okay, you need to organize here. I would just, just throw myself into something right. else because my, my disappointment was so strong. I needed to put that energy somewhere else. Right. So, so yeah, oh, man, we could talk about this for hours. Just yeah. the, the mental side. Of the game. So, so let's get to the last question and then we'll get Marissa back in here. But the last question I always like to like, like to ask every single episode, Jimmy, is that, you know, Jimmy, you are given like the, a lamp with one wish left in it and you get to change one thing about the game in our country altogether. And the change that you get to make has immediate and full effect. What, what change are you making today? <laughs> I would, I mean, I think the funny answer is promotion relegation. Cause that's such a fire starter, but uh, I, I, it's not that it's more about development. I feel like we have a lot of leagues that have a lot of acronyms and we don't have everybody rowing the boat in the same direction. And I feel like it's not about the kids and I don't think it's about development. I think it's about money and power and greed, like a lot of our systems here, which does infect sports. And I wish that we could put something in place that would harness all of the positive energy that's out there to make these kids better. And it's starting to happen, I guess, in some ways, but I wish it would happen faster. So I would probably snap my fingers sure. to get everybody on both sides of the game working for the best interest of the game. At least in the same and, direction, yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. And I understand that you can't teach everybody has a different idea of how to teach the game. And I'm open to that. I think that needs to be, you know, in the framework of what I'm trying to say, because we've had other Claudia Reyna put out like a mission statement for how we should be developing our youth here and, you know, using his vast experience. And then we gave a lot of his time to put that out there. And even he couldn't handle the weight of the pushback that that received when he was helping us soccer at that time. I've seen a lot of other special human beings who have their best interest at heart, get completely worn out and run over by the soccer machine here in this country, all the politics ultimately. So, so anything that we could put in place, that gets everybody working together for the best interest of the game and, and, and especially in the youth development sector. So that not only are we trying to develop players, but also human beings. I, I think the game is such a great metaphor for life and you know what top like 1% are actually going to turn out to be pros. So what are we doing sure. with the 99%? that have the same love that the 1% does. They just didn't get to take that extra step. Right. How can we get them back into the system where they're not completely jaded about their soccer experience, which is what you hear a lot about. So yeah. that I just, God, this is the sport's so powerful and, and, uh, and so power and positive that, that that's what, I don't know. That's probably uh, a longer answer than you wanted. And no, it's good. that's, that's an area that really intrigues me because you know, if you plant those seeds and, and lay that foundation, it'll help grow everything else above it, which is ultimately what we want. And, and that includes, you know, and, uh, and so my issue with MLS at times is that it's exclusive. Like if you want to, if you want to play in it, you have to buy into it. And, and this sport is inclusive and it should be for everyone. And so I don't like that. There's that. I wish there was, that was more open. Um, I know that probably leads into the promotion relegation sure. thing that I was joking sure. about, but, but just, a system that that everybody feels like they're a part of to help grow this thing, I think would be uh, advantageous for everybody here in this country. Yeah. 
No, there's no wrong answer, Jimmy. There's just your answer. <laughs> your answer is right. I mean, that's how we that's how we like to. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, you're right. Like it's not wrong, right or wrong. It might be a bit the, uh, optimistic and naive, but no, it, that, that's but it should be. be. But that's that's the thing is that it should be. There should always be something that, gosh, if this one thing were different, you know, how much easier the game. I mean, granted that that exists in Europe and every European country, you know, that has, you know, that has soccer has cha its own challenges. Right. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't solve everything, but it might solve some of the big key things. And so I always think that that's really valuable. Well, let's get Marissa back in here. We'll wrap this Marissa, sucker up. Marissa, 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 Got a new sub. Let's go. Uh, Conradinho. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate all the insight you've offered, Jimmy. I'm, I'm took notes furiously. Um, so I'm looking forward to, you know, your final thesis. I'd love for you to share that with us. Cause I think that's yeah. really good. How about when points. you finish that, you come back on the show. We'll talk about your thesis. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I got to, uh, I had to hit pause on my e-license before, but uh, I'm working on it now. And that's Great. one of the big themes I'm trying to wrap my head around. And then, I love team shape, but a lot of it is, it's kind of high up the field. It's a little bit easier to dictate things from there, but I also think it's important to know how to defend in the mid block, which is middle of the field, of course, and then the low block with, but the low block, like a smart low block. So you're not just sitting on the top of the box to sit on the top of the box, but how it actually helps you inform. You know what? I could talk. I'm a <laughs> <Yeah>. soccer geek. <laughs> you are. I'm a soccer geek. So anyway, yeah. so yeah. there's a lot of themes, but yes, once I'm done with that, I would love to come back on and, and uh, hash yeah. it out. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the way you describe it, even um, it's not just the it's physical, tactical things. There's other things that it will bring about success. You know, the commitment that you had, like that's your word, right? Your talent is commitment mm -hmm. um, and always returning back to your last known point. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's in the follow up in a tactical sense. So mm -hmm. uh, really appreciated the insight sitting in into your conversation and hearing your story. So. I look forward to the next time. Yeah, sorry for getting emotional. That clearly is uh, – I need to go no. apologize for that, that one. Yeah. Don't apologize no. for that, buddy. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. one really – that one hurt because I really looked yeah. up to him and that that he dressed me down in front of everybody it wasn't cool. But he ended up becoming like my biggest fan, so that was pretty neat to see it all come full yeah. circle. Yeah, Good. for sure. Cool. So how do we uh, get connected with you? I mean, if people don't know who you are, uh, I'd be really surprised. But <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you know, in some way? ways I hope they don't know who I am because it'll be like a <laughs> – brand new awakening for them into sure. the world of James P. Conrad. Uh, you can find me at Jimmy Conrad at Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Twitch at Jimmy Conrad. I'm also on the YouTube at the Jimmy Conrad, though I haven't posted as much there. And I'm on CBS sports. I'm an analyst for them for the champions league and Europa league and WSL and yeah. uh, Serie A and uh, as well as uh, the U S men's national team. And we just do a, a new podcast called in soccer. We trust with me, Charlie Davies and Heath Pierce. And uh, it's fun. Right. We have we have fun, and we know that it's just a bunch of grown adults in small shorts kicking the ball in a certain direction, and it's not that big of a deal, but it's also a really big deal at the same time. So we try to make yeah. sure we have that perspective when we go out there and, and have some fun with our analysis. Awesome. Yeah. Well, if you're ever in Nashville, hit me up. We'll go watch some Nashville. Yeah, that's great. I'm actually might be working on a little documentary with Walker Zimmerman, so – I would oh. have a reason to be out there. Oh, nice. That will uh, yeah. pique Marissa's interest for sure. Yes. yes. He's my yes. new favorite player. He's super yeah, handsome. Sure. And yeah, he's, oh, he's got it all working. <laughs> he does. He really does. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, cool. Jimmy, for your time, man. No we problem. Appreciate, appreciate you, so you much. both. Soccer yeah. geeks for life. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm gonna drop you back, Jimmy. All right, cool. Any last words, Jason, no. before we No, 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 no. Out? I mean, gosh, this is we could have an exhaustive ten ten, you know, ten week episode. Um you know, with Jimmy and we still wouldn't get to the bottom of the barrel in there. So he's just, he has such a wealth yeah. of information and life to give. He's just a fantastic human being. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Got some good stuff and hopefully people enjoy the stories that he shares. And I'm sure they will. if you are listening, make sure you follow and subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button because we can have new episodes every Tuesday and I can be found on Twitter, or you'll find us on Twitter as Soccer Geeks USA, um, as well as all the other social platforms. So that's it for us today. Thanks. Thank Bye. You Bye, everybody. Bye.